the simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Mark Florka. With 45 years of industry experience, Mark knows the ins and outs of baking. He is Bakerpedia's community forum manager and baking instructor. He's here to share knowledge and help you grow connections. You're listening to the Baked In Science Podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Mark Florka, and I'm your Baked In Science Podcast host. Today we have a really cool episode. You know, we get asked a lot about extending shelf life and preventing mold and things like that. And here is something that is as natural as sunshine. Have a listen. Welcome, everyone, to another Baked in Science podcast. And today we have a really interesting conversation. We're talking with Denis. This is a company from Germany. I have with me here Nick Sturgis in the U.S. and Ken Sturgis in the U.S. And then the founder of the company is Caius Denise. Caius, tell us uh, when was the company founded? Okay, so actually there was a small mistake. Uh, my father was the founder, not me. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> so he founded the, the company in 1979, but at that time, actually, our focus was totally not on UV or on food. So we are uh, close to Stuttgart. So our business at that time was mainly as a supplier for the car industry. That was until the middle of the 80s. And then in the 80s, we start actually with our first approaches to the UV, also through a client research order, actually. Yeah, with this first touch to the UV, actually, we also recognize there is a lot of potential, especially in the food area and also in the healthcare sector. So, and that's actually our two main streams where we are focusing currently. So that kind of brings me to what Denise do today is primarily UV technology, correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So basically, UV technology in those two, two main areas, it means food and also the healthcare sector. Also some special applications, but mostly those two areas. So as I mentioned, we also have Nick and Ken Sturgis here. If you guys want to briefly introduce yourself and what you do with Kaios. Yeah, my name is Ken Sturgis, and I look after Denny's Affairs here in the North American market. And good morning, Mark. It's great to see you and be on your podcast. And uh, we certainly enjoy working with Bakerpedia, a great organization with Dr. Lynn and her team. Yeah. And so, you know, this is an interesting technology. It suits my background perfectly, which is helping European manufacturers of specialty high value products launch in the North American market. And I have a long background in UV. Uh, UVC specifically in germicidal applications. So oh, when this opportunity came up, it was fantastic. Like Ken said, similar for me. So I help support Denny's on the North American market. Not quite a substantial background as Ken and Mr. Denny's in the UV world, <laughs> but I graduated from university with an international business degree and went and got my master's. Beverly, Massachusetts. Excited to be working with a technology such as this, a great team in Germany, and happy to be working with Ken and Bakerpedia as well. It's always important to have a business mind to keep the scientists in line a little bit. <laughs> Amen, Mark. <laughs> 
And so, Kaya, since your father has been the founder, what are the activities that you involve yourself with in Germany or even worldwide? Actually, before I started here in my father's company, I was in China after the graduation. I worked with a German certification company. It was in 2003. I came to Germany, helped my father because he was a little sick. sick. So it was uh, actually the, uh, yeah, the point where I had to take care about the company. And then we are focusing you know, very strongly on the SUV business. It was for me a very challenging because... The car industry is always goes up and down and up and down and up and down. So it's not so very nice to make business with them. So for me, I thought it's a very good opportunity and also very nice technology and interesting technology. Yeah, I think a bright future in various applications. Yeah. And so we've mentioned that it's UV. Ken hinted at uh, you know germicidal applications and things like that. So speaking of the food industry, and in, you know which is what we are mostly interested in as bakers, I guess the phrase I'm going to use is, "What's the technology all about? What are we trying to accomplish here?" So I think for me, let's say what is the most interesting for at the, this technology is I think it's very simple technology. So what we are using is more. UV, everybody knows, you know, it's from the sunlight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, of course, actually, you could also use the sunlight to disinfect. Basically, that's what basically our parents maybe did. They put the clothes outside in the sun to get it disinfected after washing. Yeah. And uh, that's what, uh, that's the same actually what we are doing here. But we don't use the sunlight. We use artificial UV light with 254 nanometer. This artificial UV light has the possibility that we can disinfect basically all kinds of a microorganism, that means we can disinfect viruses, so we can bacteria, even mold, basically all microorganisms, basically, which are on the surface of products, especially on food, are more or less easy to disinfect with the real light 254 nanometer. For me, it's a very interesting technology because it's so simple. I don't want to encourage bakers to put their bread out in the sun at this point because, you know, the... The other problem, of course, is we're going to have is flies and things like that. But still, I mean, if we go back, I think, thousands of years ago, bakeries were not enclosed buildings. They were open, out in the open. And so a lot of the natural mold inhibitors or things or disinfectants were taking place through the sun, just like how people used to far more hang their laundry out to dry in the sun. And now we put it in a dryer. So now we got to go to the grocery store and buy disinfectant to put into the dryer and the laundry too, right? <laughs> we take something of the way and we have to find other ways. So this UV technology is then a way to disinfect or to keep clean the products after they have gone through a baking. Would they go through the cooling cycle first primarily? And then they would start to be disinfected to ensure before packaging that it's as clean as possible. Is that a good sort of summation? Yeah, exactly. Basically, what we are doing, we bring the sun inside, right? Mm -hmm. From outside, like a professional production facilities, we put them inside. So that means concentrated on the product so that we can treat surfaces. Not only the surfaces of the product, in some application, I think, especially in the food, it's also interesting maybe to think about installations of UV in the environment. Especially if you have a cooling cycle where you always have cool and hot together, it's always a perfect condition for any kind of mold, mold growing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, UV is a perfect tool basically to control the mold growing in the air and on surfaces in the production side, and of course also on the products to increase the shelf life. 
This episode is brought to you by Denise North America, a pioneer in food safety. Our UVC equipment facilitates a 100% chemical-free process with zero byproducts to extend your product's shelf life. Perfect for organic and gluten-free bread stuff. It's a completely natural solution. Learn more at dines.com slash en. That's denise.com slash en. Now, Ken, in the last 10 to 15 years, there's been a lot of talk in the U.S. and Canada of using UV in, in various food applications. It seems to be relatively new to baking, but can you tell us a little bit about your experience with UV as a, a disinfectant in that sense? Yeah, thanks, Mark. The thing that, that's interesting to me about UV and using UVC mm-hmm as a disinfection uh, skill step. As Caillou said, it's as old as millennia, right? But in a commercial application, it's also a very mature technology in North America or globally. Its primary use here to four has been for disinfection of drinking water. As an example, every single drop that comes out of a spigot in New York City, the last kill step, the germicidal kill step is UV. It's a Mm -hmm. UVC application. So it's been widely used. So where it's a bit more novel is in food applications. Mm -hmm. So what we find is that there's two primary drivers. One is truly a disinfection kill step, right? So you don't have listeria or E. coli or some Mm -hmm. of these other human gut pathogens. In the other part of that, and particularly as we talk to the baker sector, is in shelf life extension. Mm-hmm. And so the enemy to that is, as Kai pointed out, is humidity, which mm-hmm. generates mold spores, yep. right? And UVC has been found to be an effective kill step to inhibit or prevent growth. But I should point out, Mark, that we do surface disinfection. Yes. That's yes, what yep, we do. Yep. That's our specialty, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And so as Caillou so cleverly said, we're bringing the sunshine in, but it's, it's rather awkward to do. So what we do is we design these beautiful stainless steel tunnels and we replicate that wavelength, 254 nanometers, which is the effective kill wavelength. And we pass a flatbread, if you could picture it, a a pita perhaps, or a tortilla. And that bread is exposed in 360 degrees to the UVC, which is a completely organic, chemical-free, byproduct-free, natural process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Would there be a need for any specialized packaging afterwards? Or does this, this is primarily that that it affects the product so that the product is let's call it for lack of a better term, sterilized or close to sterilized when it goes into the package and it maintains that environment that way? No special packaging or special handling is required. The idea, though, is to have this final kill step, Mm -hmm. this UVC germicidal kill step, as close to the end of the packaging as possible. Uh The product is cooled in a bread application and then its last step before packaging, ideally in the process, is this UVC kill step. Mm-hmm. And so it then it goes into its normal packaging. We do find, however, packaging manufacturers are keen to use UVC as well. Think of a clamshell package, which mm-hmm. we see all kinds of products in. And so they receive packaging companies or actual further processors or manufacturers like bread manufacturers mm-hmm. or processors 
they receive that in from their suppliers. And oftentimes a kill step is applied to the actual interior of a packaging. Yeah, that's right. smart. Yeah. So because we don't always know what's coming in on that package. If that oh, yeah. Sense. You see the dusty warehouses this stuff is stored in. I mean, <laughs> very much so. Yeah. So we see it on both ends of the process. Mm-hmm. That is very interesting. That's a real good thought. Hadn't considered that much, but yeah, it makes perfect sense. It really does make perfect sense. So, Caius, you touched on that, you know, your company's connection was primarily in the auto industry. It was very volatile. It was going up and down a lot. And so you took an interest, but but how did this interest in food develop? Was it because you started to see it by others in the market? Or can you tell us how that sort of evolved for your company? Yeah, it's somehow we had some more interesting initial projects, which are actually caused mostly through certain legislations. For example, we produced a lot of UV tunnels for the dairy industry. That means actually to, to disinfect the, the milk powder bags before they are yep. going to the backyard area. And this production was more or less caused by a legislation changing in China. Uh, you remember, maybe it was about eight to ten years ago, they had a big problem with the milk powder in China. So the people in China didn't could not trust their own products anymore. So everybody wants to buy basically milk powder from abroad. So uh, they have a huge demand in, in New Zealand and Australia and everywhere. And but the Chinese government still said, okay, if you want to import to China, and then the factories must have these UV disinfectants for the raw material. Yeah. So now it's still basically the same situation. So in this legislation or regulations, actually, it's a it's a good driver for us actually that this UV tunnel system are implemented in uh, production facilities. Yeah. Until now, in the bakery side, there is no, let's say, not a real regulation. But I think Europe, maybe in the US, I think it's the same. We have this kind of green deal that everybody wants to get rid of the chemicals and find alternative solutions to send the shelf life, to clean stuff, to disinfect stuff. That would be a really a perfect solution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the inquiries we perhaps get the most of in our our Facebook professionals group and and the most interest in many of our seminars with Bakerpedia is got to do with extended shelf life and inhibiting mold specifically is the number one thing that is always asked about. And I mean, I so often say is that, well, when product comes out of the oven, it's sterilized. It comes sterile out of the oven. I mean, you put something in at 350 degrees for 30 minutes, it's not going to survive as far as bacteria or or things like that go. So it's whatever happens after it comes out of the oven is how you treat it is how well it will be preserved. It doesn't matter how much mold inhibitors with calcium propionate or, or potassium sorbate or other things to to drop pH and things like that, they're only going to delay the inevitable if the contamination is there. And this, I see the UV, I see as an ideal step to, again, rid that contamination in essence, right? Grow, because it may not be 100% effective, or the bag may be slightly contaminated or things like that, or like as as Ken pointed out, the containers, but it's going to provide significantly more 
shelf life as far as mold inhibitor goes. Now, it's not going to make it stay soft and tender, right? So it's not magic either, right? So, um, so I mean, that cookie's going to get hard eventually, right? <laughs> so, do you have some examples that you could share with us? I've heard tortillas and flatbreads mentioned. Are there some things that you have done trials on or that you have in place of uh, that you could share with us on some of this? Yeah, for example, the, we had also one, for example, one client in Australia with a, was a dark bread, and mm -hmm. he wanted to basically increase his market area because Australia is quite big, and basically each, let's say, 500 kilometers, they can drive more with the bread. Basically, they can increase, increase the market. That means one day shelf life, basically, yep. larger market. Also use this kind of solution. I think it was time was about one, uh, about two days. That means it's almost about 1,000 kilometer more in the radius, and that's a big, mm -hmm. big part where we can basically uh, deliver these goods. Yeah, actually, works with all kinds of spreads. What's always a little critical, we have to say that surface is smooth. It's more simple to disinfect. If we have a very crusty surface, even places where the, the mold can be hidden, then it's a little more uh, problem to get this one really proper disinfected. But still there, you can get a much better result than if you don't treat it. So smoother is easier to apply the UV. To jump on what Kais was talking about there, uh, UVC works in line of sight. So whatever it can see, it can treat. But when we talk about shelf life extension of bread, you know, bread stuffs, something like a tortilla lends itself very well to UVC treatment. But so do loaves of bread, right? Yes. When we think about a surface you know, standard wheat loaf you would get at the supermarket or mm -hmm, things like mm -hmm. that. So really there isn't as much struggle in the bread industry, the baking sector, when it comes to which products we can and can't treat. They're fairly uniform in terms of the surface across the board. And I just wanted to touch on, you know, what we were talking about earlier and with so much of what Bakerpedia produces and what people are talking about online in the Facebook group is about how they can extend shelf life. And mm -hmm. a lot of it has to do with ingredients or the process in which they're producing their breadstuffs. And when you alter ingredients or you edit the process in something so technical as baking, it can have a you know huge difference on the end product and you know the overall quality of what you're producing. And so I'm not a baker, but mm -hmm. I can appreciate the fact of how much time and effort goes into the actual science of it. And, and changing things around for the extension of bread life, it just goes to show the extent, you know, bakers will go to get an extra day or an extra two days. You know, I'm sure you can speak to that in your long career in the baking industry and, and what you've had to do. And that's where I think UVC is so, so unique in the fact that you don't have to alter the ingredients. You don't have to alter the process. Yep. And in fact, you know, UVC doesn't alter the properties of the bread. Those are excellent, excellent points. I was just talking with a, a baker here not long ago and looking at, you know, ways to extend shelf life on some of their products. And, and to your point, when you start adding ingredients, well, the thing is then they're saying, well, labels are pre-printed. If I have to add, change the ingredient deck, that's, you know, that's all these labels that I have to use up and then I have to get the plates redone and things like that. You know, if I have to destroy the labels, that could cost me $10,000. So, you know, why would I do a change like that, right? And UVC is, as you, to your point, is not going to change the properties. It's not an added ingredient. It doesn't get absorbed by the bread per se. There's nothing to change on your ingredient declaration or anything. You don't have to declare this bread has been treated with UVC. 
It's not like a genetically modified organism or something like that, right? That's another huge benefit in terms of extending shelf life. In fact, it's quite the opposite, Mark, in a way that we see a lot of, you know, application in the clean label or the organic side of this industry. We're not adding any added preservatives or anything like this. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, It's a fully natural treatment. And I think that's one of the ways we see ourselves benefiting and supporting this industry the most is for those manufacturers and producers who care about clean label. This podcast is made possible by Denise North America. Are you looking for an effective solution to improve shelf life? Get easy and chemical-free disinfection with UV light sanitation. Our tunnels contain multiple UVC lights that destroy the reproduction abilities of microorganisms present on the product surface, therefore destroying them. Check them out at diniescom en. That's denise.com slash en. Speaking of organic, when it comes to flour milling, organic is extremely challenging because one of the inherent things about wheat is that it comes from a field. And we all know that there's lots of vermin, you know, as people like to call it. I mean, there's bugs, you know, mice, whatever out in the field. And so it's it's really hard to separate that out from the wheat itself. And so flour mills are also very dusty places in general, right? And fumigating is something that you cannot do in an organic mill, because that's the whole point of organics is that no chemicals, pesticides, and all these things are are making contact with it. So it's very hard to keep those mills clean. And I can't remember which company or companies, but I, I remember hearing years ago that one of the things that they were looking at was trying to use UV in the flour mill to clean the flour, so to speak, right? Of course, you know, fumigation is done primarily to get rid of bugs. When I worked at the the milling part of the company is that there would always be a plan of working with all the big customers, you know, to get make sure that they get all of their loads lined up in advance because we were going to have to close the mill down for an entire three days, right? Because it would take a full day to bomb it and fumigate. And then it basically takes a day for it to air out and then another day to start up again, right? And UV is something that has been looked at in the industry for quite some time. And it's also looked at now for a lot of what has been happening. It's very popular in the U.S. I don't know if you've seen this in Germany, Caius, but what's become very popular in the U.S. and Canada is eating raw cookie dough. People like to have cookie dough that has not been baked in their ice cream and, and even just as a snack as is, right? Just just like a people sell them, you know, refrigerated or whatever that you just eat it like a like a snack bar, but it's just raw cookie dough. And of course, the problem with that is that you still have wheat flour in there and wheat flour normally goes through a kill step when you bake it, right? So you're not worried about the E. coli and the yeast and mold spores that are naturally in the wheat. And so now they're in there. So several large flour millers are busy trying to come up with this so-called edible flour or ready-to-eat flour that has been treated. And one of the disadvantages of heat treating the flour is that it loses a lot of its 
functional properties in terms of any kind of bread making or things like that. So it becomes a very specialized niche area, whereas they've been looking at things like UV. They've also looked at ozone and things like that because it will help to act as a germicide, but doesn't alter the properties, the functional properties of the gluten or the starch and things like that. So that's also very interesting from that respect. I just see always these amazing technologies and I just see so many, you know, opportunities, as you said, Ken. I mean, I'm sure you guys have got your your fingers in a lot of these places. St. Louis is a great place to be for a lot of the ag companies and stuff like that. I mean, Monsanto was based there. They have a beautiful, beautiful campus and they're always at the forefront of things. And so with the, the tortillas and stuff you, that you've tried, what have you experienced or have you recorded any kind of extension compared to other things? Like, is, is there anything that you could share with us there? These results are depending a little on the on the UV energy you put uh, basically on the product. So uh, we started actually, or we tried with different kind of energies. That means UV energies or more or less treatment ties that's related to the treatment time. You can say actually from 200 millijoule, it starts to, to see results. Uh, it starts from one day. If you get higher uh, UV energy on the product, you can also reach to three to four days extension. So, and I think uh, if I just think back to the Australian guy, that's uh, a quite interesting figure also for uh, financial fitness, right? Mm-hmm. And so the amount of joules, is that residence time or is, is that intensity or how does that work? We call it dose and it's basically the UV energy. That means the intensity multiplied by time. So that's important for the reduction or the germ reduction on the surface with UV. I think, Ken, you were saying about stainless steel tunnels. I'm assuming that's part of the equipment if someone is to install or purchase one of these lines that they, they comes with these tunnels. But is there any other special environment you need for this? Or can you kind of paint us a little bit of picture of if I'm in my production bakery and I want to add a UV line, what, what am I looking at doing? Well, first of all, you're right. I like to call them beautiful stainless steel, German-designed and manufactured Panzer tanks. <laughs> this is serious equipment for serious operators mm-hmm. because we know they're going into environments that uh, they're going to see a heavy-duty cycle, and sometimes they're rugged environments in terms of use. And so we try to make it as easy as possible. So the idea is to take your existing process, your existing line, and we want to locate the tunnel, which in general terms is going to be all in about 10 feet in length. That gives you some perspective, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so on the tunnel, it's kind of what you would envision. It has a hood. It has a conveyor. And so it has an entrance and an exit. Mm-hmm. And so we put that in at the end, ideally right before the packaging stage. And as long as you have the real estate, it's kind of a drop-in plug-and-play. Now, mm-hmm. the reality is there's a little more integration that's involved matching and marrying the conveyor lines, etc. But it's a pretty elegant solution from that standpoint. And all we need is mains power, conventional U.S. mains power. And it truly is a plug and play. There's a rather elegant operator interface, which we can dial in speed. And as Caius mentioned, what we're talking about is dosage. And dosage is the amount of UV energy by the amount of time in Mm -hmm. real simple terms, right? And so if we want a very intense dose, then we slow that process down so the product gets more exposure using, again, simple terminology. But if we say we have a high volume uh, production environment, 
and we've identified this amount of energy is appropriate for one or two day shelf life extension, Mm -hmm. right? We rate that machine, to use that word, for that production capacity. And so on these, in a baker application, in a flatbread, right, tortilla or a pita, uh, we use a pretty low profile because we want to be as close to that product as possible. So the Mm -hmm. amount of time we see it provide as much UV energy as possible on that. Back to your central question, we're going to need about that 10 foot in length. And the orientation could be the right or left, front or back. We can design around that. Ideally, it's something that if you have the real estate, we can drop it in or you put a spur off your primary line and then it goes back into your packaging process. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't need to be like in the IT industry, what they call a clean room. It doesn't have to be a perfectly sterile environment. It should be clean, respectively speaking, like not full of, of bread and flour dust and things like that. It doesn't have any high constraints uh, in terms of the type of environment that you put it in. You're just adding it to your line, essentially. Correct. A lot of our machines, we have specially designed machines that treat seeds, actual seeds, wheat seeds, corn seeds, whatever. Mm -hmm. And those environments tend to be pretty dusty. So I look at an environment like that. So we do our job. So we determine what your outputs are. What are you looking to do in terms of microorganisms you're looking to inactivate, right? Mm -hmm. And what level of kill are you looking for? And then that's what we do. And we also have machines in the pharmaceutical uh, sector don't remember the classifications anymore, but they're true clean rooms. Food processing, though, we do have applications, and I don't see that it's, it might be the ideal, but not necessary, the final kill stage, and then there's a pass-through to a high-care areas, we might say, in Europe or in the United States, a clean room of various classifications. Mm-hmm. So the tunnel actually terminates through a partition, Okay, yeah. Into mm-hmm. a clean area. Bakeries typically don't have that level of requirement for mm-hmm. a, a clean room. So it's not necessary, but in many applications, we are passing through into a clean room environment. I've seen that in some of the cookie operations where basically it's where after it comes out of the baking tunnel, it has a very short distance and then it goes through a wall into the cooling tunnel to keep that separate. Another one I've seen was like frying tortilla chips. There, it's also a lot of trying to keep the oils because the oils become very volatile off the fryer and go everywhere. Yeah. That's a good point. In that sense, it's again, it's still fitting it into with what already exists, right? It's not like you have to change your system a whole lot. Yeah, such interesting technology, so many you know opportunities in the food industry. I worked for ADM for a long time, and one of the companies that they bought was uh, Specialty Ingredients. And their specialty amongst their specialty ingredients really wasn't so much, they didn't produce anything per se. They, they were good at purchasing commodities and sourcing various ingredients. And their technology was all about cleaning it, about preserving it. They use a proprietary system, but for some of the things, they may be even interested in, in UBC and, and, and stuff as well. Another thing it, it kind of makes me think of is, don't mean to put you on the spot here, but in terms of it's not baking specific, but food related, aflatoxins. Is it something that is able to 
work on something like peanuts or is that because it may be inside the peanut because the UVC only works on the surface, right? Is that something that with peanuts, I don't know if you're aware of the some of the issues that around salmonella and aflatoxin with peanuts and the salmonella is usually a surface contamination issue, but UVC definitely could work with that. Is that correct? Yeah, yes. So basically, also the aflatoxin. Actually, aflatoxin is not is not uh, inside. It actually is coming from the mold. So that means that the rest of the holes. If you can treat the moles, then you have also the the control over over the aflatoxin. Yeah. So that works as well. Actually, the machine uh, can mention before we call it our nitro system. That's basically the system where you can treat small like seeds, like sesame or nuts or something like this. There we don't have a belt because like in the bread production. There we have a, a vibrating plate so that we can turn to, to treat all of the complete surface. Interesting application here in Germany, some chocolate manufacturers, for example, they use such a machine to disinfect nuts, which they put inside the chocolate, right? Rid of this kind of a mold or something like this. That's also an interesting application, yes. I see a possible future opportunity for this. I've been working with the University of Montana on it's sort of an indigenous food thing where they've been applying this work has been in Senegal and they are peanut farmers there and peanut and sorghum and part of their challenges in terms of uh, utilizing the crops so that they actually get more income from it and actually use it all no don't have to just plow it into the ground and of course working with peanuts one of the issues is aflatoxin and so they're going to analyze for it but to that point again if you need to get rid of it, this would be a great opportunity. It's being supported through the Bank of Africa with grants and things like that. And the farm model that has been put together so far has been so well received. It's like a commune almost, right? So it's it's not huge, gigantic production, but it is. they want to survive off of this. They have their traditional way of, of doing a lot of different things, but they're interested in developing another 600 of these farms and, and incubators, right? So where they actually have a production building and everything. So I'll have to give the professor your name, Kayo Storkan, to, to talk to you guys. You know, it might be a few years down the road yet, but I think there may be some opportunities for them there, right? Um, no, we have also some applications in Africa for sesame. They grow, and if you see how they they dry, the sesame is just somewhere on on, on the ground. You know, <laughs> and you can see the walking behind or beside. Of course, we have a lot of salmonella and this kind of stuff in the sesame. And if you want to use it for muesli or even for the bakery, yeah, you have to go to look at it's everything very clean. Right? It's also a very good application. That is phenomenal. If people want to learn more about this, Nick, there's a website for this. Yeah, so the website is dinnies.com, D-I-N-I-E-S.com. And then we have an English version online, or you could do slash E-N to bring that up. From there, you know, we have all our different sectors that we participate in listed, our different applications that we specialize in, and all our products listed. So we have a wealth of knowledge on there, research papers, things like this that everybody can find there. Perfect. That is excellent. There's a contact form as well for people who want to get in touch with you. Yep. There's a contact form for them to fill out. We just ask if you're contacting from the U.S. to just leave a phone number as well. But there's a message part so you can let us know what you're interested in learning more about. Or you can reach out directly to us. Who Our information is on the Bakerpedia website on the uh, sponsorship 
Yep. Uh, our sponsorship, sponsorship page. Yeah. Thank you very much for your sponsorship. It's what helps us exist. I keep pointing bakers to it because, I mean, like even Dr. Lin and I, we, we joked about it a bit last month on the Forum Friday review is that, you know, the bakers think that we know all of this stuff by heart. I mean, where do they think we go when we need information? Right? <laughs> we, right. now, I can't remember. What's the neutralizing value of SAP 28, right? So, I mean, it's like we use our own resource, trust me, uh, all the time, right? Because it's Dr. Lin's idea, and she provides the foundation of knowledge for that. And essentially, she has a number of technical writers who help us write all of this. And we proofread it and things like that to make sure for its accuracy and stuff. There's one guy in the Facebook group who seems to know everything, right? <laughs> but, uh, There's a guy in every group. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Thank you for that. I really appreciate your sponsorship. It's very important to us. I would say this, Mark, is that we wish every sector we participated in had somebody like Bakerpedia, because you guys are just unbelievable and just the wealth of knowledge that you're able to bring together in one place, but also the people that make this company run. Dr. Lynn, Bob Schneider, everyone else behind the scenes that doesn't get enough credit. The, the technical writing team who helped us produce our clean label UV shelf life extension white paper. Yep. It's just really incredible. Even just from being on the Facebook group through the LinkedIn group, it's clear that the baking industry has really taken you guys on as the go-to spot for information. Thank you. I appreciate that. It really is, as you know, the old saying goes, it takes a village. Dr. Lin is the face of Bakerpedia, but you'd be surprised, I mean, how many people it takes to keep this organization going. Like you guys, it's so much fun. We love having sponsors like you because it's so much fun to interact with and talk with and stuff. And this has been phenomenally interesting. I know I've learned a lot from this and, and I really hope our listeners take this to heart and listen in and, and contact you guys and look into this opportunity. Is there anything else? Any other comments? I would just like to say thank you for the forum. Mark, it's been a pleasure. I won't go on. Nick Nick said it so eloquently how we enjoy working with your organization. Thank you. And yeah, I would say if you're a baker and you're interested and you have questions, but you're just not quite sure how this whole thing works. I understand that. I get that. That's why we're here. And that's why we're here in the United States. So we can support you real time in a time zone that makes sense to you in your native language. It's an elegant, completely organic solution. When it works, it's a great solution. And so if you're not sure about if it's a great solution for you or not, let us know. And we're always happy to talk to bakers. Uh, because we certainly come away from the conversation knowing more than when we started. So again, my sincere thank you to you and to your team. Thank you very much. Well, that's been another Baked in Science podcast, everybody. Thank you very much to my guests, Caius Denise, Ken Sturgis, and Nick Sturgis. We'll see you guys all in the next one. Hey everybody, I hope you learned as much from this as I did. Absolutely amazing technology. It made me also think, you know, here you can put a little bit of sunshine in your bread. Really cool stuff. Don't forget to visit their website and have a look at more information that they have there. And I'll see you all in the next one. I'm your host, Mark Florka, and this has been your Baked in Science Podcast.